Hi, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. Were you aware that Jesus' words could be misinterpreted? Were you aware that there is an actual example in the Scripture of Jesus' followers misinterpreting His words and being corrected? We're going to take a look at John chapter 21, verses 20 and 21, and see this occurrence and see what we can learn from it about God's Word and about that oft-repeated statement that's just your interpretation. Open your Bible, study along, and let's learn about God's Word together. Can you imagine what it would be like to be told by Jesus, here's how you're going to die? What kind of questions might come to your mind? What kind of things would you want to ask Jesus at that moment? That's exactly what Jesus did with Peter in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, beginning at about verse 18. John said, or Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrayed you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? When Peter had heard about his death, his question was, what about this disciple? What's going to happen to him? Jesus said in verse 22, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then a very interesting thing occurred among the disciples. The text goes on to say, a saying went out. But this saying was not correct. It was a misunderstanding. It was a misinterpretation. And it says there in verse 23, Therefore this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? The disciples misunderstood Jesus' statement. And for just a few moments this morning, I would like for us to consider that occurrence, that misunderstanding, that misinterpretation, and learn some lessons from this about God, about His Word, and about His will, about how we can use His Word and how we ought to study His Word. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer? Our great God and Father in heaven, we are so thankful that You've given us Your Word. We don't deserve it. We're unworthy. We recognize, Father, that we deserve an eternal punishment because of our sins. And yet, despite that, Your mercy and Your grace have sent Your Son to die for us, whose blood washes our sins away. Beyond that, You've given us Your Word that lets us know how to please You, that we might enter Christ, that we might die with Him, that we might be crucified with Him, that we can be dead to sin and alive in Christ. And we're so thankful for that grace. Father, we pray that we will respond to You not flippantly, not by so relying on Your grace that we live however we want, but rather because of Your grace, we will love You and study Your Word and understand it and live according to it. Be with us this morning as we worship You, 
that everything we do will be in accordance with Your Word. And Father, if there's anything that we've misunderstood about how we're to worship You, we pray that You would reveal that to us as well through Your Word. Help us to have our hearts open to You, Lord, to serve You and to honor You, because our greatest desire is that that, that we'll not be glorified, but that You'll be glorified. Through Your Son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. A couple lessons that we can learn here in John chapter 21, verse 22 through 23. The very first thing that we need to learn is that God's Word can be misinterpreted. Bible teaching can be misinterpreted. That shouldn't be shocking. That shouldn't be frightening. That shouldn't scare us. We shouldn't get upset at that. We just need to recognize the Bible teaching can be misinterpreted. Jesus said, if I want Him to remain till I come, what's that to you? And the disciples interpreted that to mean that this one disciple, traditionally speaking, and most likely John, was going to live forever until Jesus returned and then would go on into eternity. They misinterpreted That's part of growth. That's just the way things are. We're going to get things wrong at times. We all do that. We need to understand what interpretation is. We can use that in two different terms, and we do use that in two different ways. First of all, sometimes we speak of interpretation as an issue of translation. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when it talks about speaking in tongues, it says that you not only pray that you speak in tongues, but that you interpret. That is, we're going to translate from one language into another. If we back up at the beginning of John chapter 1, very interestingly, in John chapter 1 and verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. So here's the word rabbi. He said, which translated means teacher. If you've got the King James Version, it says, which interpreted means teacher. So we recognize that interpretation, interpret, can be used to describe translating from one language to another. It's also used in the idea of conveying the sense or the greater meaning of something. For instance, in Daniel chapter 2, remember Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, called the wise men in. What did he want them to do? He wanted them to interpret the dream. Here's the dream. What's its meaning? And Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 36, comes and interprets the dream. Or in Nehemiah chapter 8, when the, the Levites get up and begin preaching the law, do you remember what the text said in verse 8? It said that they read the law and they gave the sense of it. They read it and said, now here's what this means for us and how we're supposed to live. That's interpretation. And in that process, whether it be talking about translating one language to another or just the idea of giving the sense or giving the meaning of something, We can make mistakes. Don't be scared of that. Don't be frightened of that. We just need to learn that that can happen and be on our guard and make sure that we work not to misinterpret, but to understand, to learn what the Scripture means. The second lesson is that while Bible teaching can be misinterpreted, Bible teaching can be understood. I think we learned that here in John chapter 21 by the mere fact that John wants to correct this misunderstanding. He says, you can't understand what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say that that I was going to live forever. Jesus just said that if I want this disciple to live until I come, that's none of your concern. That's all he said. And the mere fact that John works to correct this demonstrates that he believes the disciples could understand God's Word. We can't understand it. 
There are a lot of people today that want to sweep God's Word under the rug and say, well, it's a great book, it's great advice, but we really can't understand it, we really can't know it, so we can all kind of do just whatever we want. But I would remind you of Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, there Paul said, by revelation there was made known to me, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. In fact, in chapter 5 and verse 17, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul said, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul commanded it. Because Paul recognized it could be done. Paul commanded it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is letting us know it can be understood. God has given us a revelation that we can study. We can learn. Yes, we're going to misinterpret it at times, but we're going to grow and we can understand. I know about Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 16 that points out that there are some Scripture hard to understand. But hard to understand and impossible to grasp are not the same thing. It does take learning. It does take study. It does take time. It doesn't all come at once. And we'll make mistakes as we go through the process. But we can understand. And we must work to understand God's Word and God's will. The third thing we learn from John chapter 21, verse 22 and 23, is that multiple interpretations cannot all be right. If you look there in John chapter 21, verse 22 and 23, Jesus said, if I wanted to remain until I come, what is that to you? Many of the disciples understood that to mean that John was going to live forever and would not die. John, however, pointed out that's not what he's saying at all. He was offering a hypothetical in order to demonstrate the point to Peter that it's none of your concern. It can't be both of those things at once. Either Jesus was promising that John would never die, or he was not. He can't be saying both things at once. Multiple interpretations cannot be Right. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul in verse 17 says, Therefore, 2 Corinthians 1, 17, I was not vacillating or going back and forth when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but was yes in Him. For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying... I can't, we're not going to say mutual exclusive things. We're not going to say yes and no at the same time. The answer is yes, the answer is yes. If the answer is no, the answer is no. And in Jesus Christ, the promises are yes. We're not vacillating. We don't go back and forth. We don't have mutually exclusive multiple interpretations and say that your interpretation is as good as mine and we all get to do whatever we want. And yet, that's kind of what people say today. Tie it in with how hard it is to understand the Scripture. They'll point out that, well, that's just your interpretation. Anybody ever heard that? That's just your interpretation. Do you remember what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter said, but know this first of all, 
No prophecy of Scripture is of a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. He said the prophets didn't write down their own interpretations. You don't get to have your own interpretation. This is from the Holy Spirit, and we need to interpret it the way the Holy Spirit wants it interpreted. We don't get to just interpret it however we want to. We can't all be right. Here's the fact. If you and I look at a passage, and you believe it means one thing, and I believe it means something else, we can't both be right. We might both be wrong, but we can't both be right. And to try to claim that these mutually exclusive interpretations that are floating around in our world today are all okay and we all get to do whatever we want and we'll be right with God is dishonest and it's incorrect. Having said that, let me point out that when I study with people, I will consistently say to them, don't believe things just because I tell you to. You need to study the Word for yourself. I'll go to Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 and I'll point out, you need to be like these folks in Acts 17 11 who went and studied the Scripture for themselves to understand what God's will is for themselves. But I'm not saying that to mean that we're allowed to believe whatever we want. And I get to hold my belief and you get to hold yours and we just get to go on our merry way. What I'm saying is, I know that misinterpretations can happen and I might be wrong. So don't just take my word for it. Go to the Scripture. Study it for yourself. Find out what God says about it. And don't do what I say. Do what God says. But if you read it and believe I'm wrong, come show me. Because if you think I'm wrong, we can't both be right. But we both want to be right, don't we? We both want to be right. And that leads us to the next point. Is that misinterpretations need to be corrected. Once again, we go back to John chapter 21, verse 22 and 23. Now, I don't think that this misinterpretation was any major issue. I don't think people lost their souls because of it. But John thought it was important enough to correct, didn't he? Because misunderstanding needs to be corrected. And so, as he wrote his gospel, he pointed out, the saying's gone out among the disciples, but y'all, it's just not right. Jesus didn't say that I was going to live forever. He just gave a hypothetical to Peter to get Peter to realize, what I do with John doesn't matter to you. You follow me. No matter what John does. And he wanted to correct it. Why? Because that's what growth is all about. Growth is about being wrong and being corrected to be more like Christ and to have a greater understanding of Christ's will. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, Peter says there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 that we like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. We're supposed to grow. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. Peter, again, writing there, he talks about growth as a Christian. He says, now for this very reason also, in 2 Peter 1.5, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge. And then in verse 8, he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, we're supposed to be having more and more knowledge. There are things we don't know. There are things we don't understand. We're supposed to grow and be corrected and learn. That's what being educated in Christ is all about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20, 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20, it talks about growth. There Paul said, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. We're supposed to grow. We start off as babies, but we're supposed to grow to maturity. We're not allowed to just stay there in that infant stage of knowledge in Christ. And so, mistakes need to be corrected. Number one, just because it's better to be right than to be wrong. But number two, because there are many misinterpretations that are destructive. Again, I don't believe this misinterpretation in John chapter 21 was destructive. Unless perhaps some folks took it and extrapolated it to mean some other issues of doctrine. But I do believe the Scripture demonstrates to us that there are some, in fact, many misinterpretations that are destructive. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16. We alluded to this passage earlier. Remember, it's the passage that talks about Scriptures that are hard to understand. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, speaking of Paul and his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures, to their own destruction. Please note in this passage, these aren't malicious people. These aren't people that hate the Lord in the sense that we often speak of. They were ignorant people. They were untaught people. They were people who, despite whatever manner of sincerity they might have, had not gotten into the Word and studied and learned and been taught so that they could be stable. And they twisted and they distorted. And their misinterpretations, Peter said, would destroy them. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. There are some misinterpretations that are destructive. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. In Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, Peter there spoke of false prophets who arise among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. There are heresies. There are teachings that destroy. Up to the point, he says, there'll even be some that go so far as to deny the Master. And they bring destruction on themselves. What kind of mistakes, misinterpretations cause this? I don't have a list. I don't have a list of all the doctrines and misunderstandings that cause this, but I can go through some scriptures that point out some guidelines about this. For instance, there in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be maligned or reviled. If the way of truth is reviled or maligned by the misinterpretation, then it's destructive. We look in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. 2 Timothy 2.16, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. If it causes people to go astray from the truth, not the Father, the Son, the Spirit about His Word, if it, if it leads people astray from the truth, it's destructive. Back in 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning about verse 18. 
In 2 Peter 2.18, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse than the first. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. If it causes folks to go back into the ways of the world, to be enslaved again to sin and corruption, it's a destructive misinterpretation. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Beginning at verse 21. Jesus said on the day of judgment, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Misinterpretations that take people away from the way of God. That cause them to try to serve God in some way other than what He's commanded. Are destructive. Once again in Second Peter. Got you flipping back and forth here, don't I? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. If it causes us to fall from steadfastness in Christ and the hope that we have in Him and His will, it's destructive. One more passage, Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. I am amazed, Paul said, that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you were seeing, he is to be accursed. If the misinterpretation causes somebody to try to be saved in some other way than by the good news that Jesus Christ instituted in His Word, it's destructive. You start seeing a theme in all of that? Misinterpretations that take us away from Christ's standard and His will and His way of doing things will destroy us. So don't be untaught. Don't be unstable. Get into the Word. Which leads us to our final point. Scripture corrects misinterpretations. I find this interesting there in John chapter 21. When John wanted to correct this, he didn't have to go through all kinds of, of hoops to say, oh, this is what he meant and this is what we should understand and I'm going to quote from this guy over here and I'm going to get this illustration and that poem. And, and I'm not saying any of that is necessarily wrong in teaching. I'll do that at times. But you know, the fact is, what John says is, guys, look at what Jesus said. It's gone out among you that I'm going to live forever, but that's not what Jesus said. Just look at what Jesus said. Did Jesus say, John will not die? No. There in verse 23, all He said was this, if I want Him to remain until I come. What is that to you? Don't miss this. When John wanted to correct the disciples, all He did 
was go back to Jesus' Word and say, look at it again. He didn't say this. He said this. How simple is that? Remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16? I'm sure you do. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. The Bible says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished for every good work. Scripture will teach us. Scripture will reprove us. Scripture will correct us and train us in righteousness. It will make us thoroughly equipped for every good work. It will keep us from being destroyed by misinterpretation. Scripture provides the answer. And Scripture will correct us. Not my feelings, not some church doctrine, not some book that some preacher or elder has written, not something that a council of men get together and say, this is what you should believe. Scripture will correct us. If we separate ourselves from Scripture, we've lost hope of correction. I want to demonstrate this to you by going to another passage. A passage that's often misinterpreted. And one that I think does really matter because it deals with salvation. It deals with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about Mark 16 and verse 16. Have you read this before? Mark 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This one verse has numerous interpretations given to it. What what do we learn today from John chapter 21? All these mutually exclusive interpretations can't be right. But consider some of them. For instance, the skeptic says, ah, it doesn't matter. This text is in doubt. May I point out to you, brethren and guests, and I have no desire to offend anyone, but if you ask Billy Graham about this verse, his response will be, well, we really don't know if this verse should even be there. So don't hang your doctrine about salvation on it. That's surprising to me. It doesn't matter what this verse really says. It's in doubt. I suggest that's not correct. The Universalist says, oh, it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to be saved. All those passages that tell us about the people that are going to be saved, it doesn't matter what they say. Jesus died so that we'll all go to heaven. So whether this one says you've got to believe or be baptized, doesn't matter. The Catholic position is that we're baptized when we're infants based on the faith of our parents and then we're saved. And then we'll believe later and be confirmed. Is that what the text says? The Protestant position is that we'll believe and because of our faith we're saved and then we'll be baptized in order to demonstrate that salvation. But is that what the text says? The Calvinist, the staunchly strict five-point Calvinist position is, no, we're already saved if we're chosen to be saved. If we're chosen to be saved, then sometime later we'll believe and then we'll be baptized. But is that what the text says? Let's just go back to the text. What does it say? He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. I'd like to share with you my interpretation of this passage. My interpretation of this passage is, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. So let, me, let me show you. I'll just explain this. I love Ken Craig's thing in just real deep theological terms. 
When it says, He who, I believe those two words right there come together to mean He who. I do believe that includes she who. I think he there is used as the generic for mankind in general. Anyone who believes. I've studied that word. I've looked it up in commentaries. I've looked it up in lexicons. And I have come to the firm conclusion that that word there means believes. And is baptized. Now that's a toughie. I've had to look that one up. I've studied it. I think that those words right there mean and is baptized. What do you think? So when I take those first couple of words there at the beginning, I think that means he who believes and is baptized. The person who believes and is baptized. Then I see this, will be saved. What do you think that means? Phil, what do you think that means? Will be saved. Okay, thank you. See, that's, that's what I think. So I look at the first half of this verse, and it says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, I know that there are all kinds of interpretations. They can't all be right. And so in order to correct myself and make sure I'm right, I'm just going back to the text. Now, what's it say? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's it. There's also another half of this verse, though, isn't there? He who does not believe. Now, see, I think that right there is the opposite of this up here. That not there, that negates it. Up here, he who believes. Here, it's he who does not believe. Will be condemned. Here's what I think that means. I've studied it. I've looked it up. I've compared it. I've looked at other verses. I've cross-referenced. And I believe that verse, that part of the verse means, if you don't believe, you'll be condemned. That's what I believe it means. And so now that we're all said and done, we've explicated, we've extricated, we've exegeted and done all those hermeneutical things, here's what I think this passage says. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Do you want to be saved? What's this verse say you've got to do? Believe and be baptized. He who does not believe will be condemned. Do you want to be condemned? Don't believe. It's very simple. One of the amazing things about this text is how many people will go to that last step that talks about going to hell and try to come from that and say, but now here's how I get to heaven. I didn't get it from the part that talked about how to be saved. I got it from the part that told me how to go to hell. But I think that because this one says, I don't, all I, oh boy, if I want to go to hell, all I have to do is don't believe. That means I can still be saved without this baptism here. Even though it says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. I mean, I know what it says, but I know it can't mean that because if I want to go to hell, all I have to do is not, be, not believe. It doesn't say anything about not getting baptized. Well, I'm going to tell you what. If you don't believe the first half of this verse, first half says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. If you don't believe that, then I don't care if you ever get baptized. If you don't believe the first half of that verse, you're going to be condemned. If you believe it, what are you going to do? You're going to obey it, aren't you? You're going to believe and you're going to be baptized. That's what it takes. I know that there are some passages harder than that, but let's open our eyes. God has given us a Scripture we can understand. And when we're wrong, all we've got to do is go to it and be corrected. What's that verse saying? I think we all know what it says. It doesn't say, he who is saved will, get, will believe and be baptized. It doesn't say, 
he who believes is saved and then gets baptized. It doesn't say he who is baptized will be saved and then later believe. It doesn't say it doesn't matter. What it says is he who believes and is baptized will be saved. It's just that simple. I certainly hope the lesson was helpful to you today in your understanding of God's Word and learning how to study it and interpret it and applying it to your own life. Let's remember what we learned today. One, Bible teaching can be misinterpreted. Two, Bible teaching can be understood. Three, multiple interpretations cannot all be right. Four, misinterpretations and misunderstandings need to be corrected. Five, some misinterpretations are destructive. Six, Scripture corrects misinterpretations. If somebody gave you this lesson on CD or on tape, let me invite you to go to our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. At that website, you can download any number of lessons on any number of topics. You'll be able to download the audio or the manuscript version in Word format. We invite you to download as many as you want. Share them with your friends. Let others know about it. We appreciate you studying with us, and we hope that our lessons will be helpful to you as we study God's Word together. If you have any questions about the Bible, about studying the Bible or interpreting the Scripture, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to contact us. You can call us at 615-794-2359, or you can contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, May you richly bless God.